You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I do feel like in terms of how it speaks to the theatrical landscape of Sydney, I think that really it's just like it's another perspective on a story being told. I think it's a really good story. And I think that was because I have spent four years thinking about what story is and what a good play is and reading those plays and reading articles and reading essays and trying to go, how does this not just become like a vague wash of people of colour on stage, but how does it become really specific? Welcome to the Theatre Thoughts Podcast. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the series. If you're a returning listener, it's great to have you back with me. My name's Justin, or you can call me Stin. I hope all those listening have been kept safe and dry throughout all the wild weather and that today's episode brings just a short moment of escape to indulge in some theatre discussions. On this episode, how do you become a playwright? We are joined by writer Kirsty Marillier to discuss her take on this very question and how she spent the last three years writing her smash it debut, Orange Thrower. Kirsty gives us a unique insight into the journey of writing a play that is both groundbreaking and socially resonant. Don't forget, you can find all of her activity on Instagram and Facebook via the hashtag TTPodcast. So, without further ado, get ready for another episode of the Theatre Thoughts Podcast. Well, welcome to the Theatre Thoughts Podcast. We are focusing today on how playwrights begin their process and how playwrights actually write and create. And to do that, we have a very special guest joining us. We have Kirsty Marillier joining us. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you about this topic because you have your work premiering at the Griffin Theatre and the National Theatre of Parramatta, Orange Thrower. Yes. So um, we'll kind of get onto that as we go, but I want to talk to you about who you are and yourself as a playwright because your your works are really um, up and coming. You have a lot of works in process and you're part of the um, the Emerging Writers Group at the Sydney Theatre Company as well. Yeah, yeah. So um. So I'm a writer and performer, um, originally from Perth. Um, I'm a South African woman. I was born in SA, but I, yeah, I grew up in Perth and lived there until the age of 24. Um, it's where I studied and I studied a Bachelor of Arts at Curtin University. Um, so I'm known as a Hamanite, if anyone 
out there uh, knows that term. Um, there's the Heyman Theatre that was uh, functioning at Curtin Uni. And after I studied my bachelor, I went on to do a diploma of, I think it's a diploma of acting, a diploma of performance at WAPA, the acting course for three years. So after doing that, that was when I kind of ventured over to the Eastern States and sort of focused on acting and performing for a few years after I graduated. And because like my course at WAPA was specializing in acting uh, I kind of just steered away from writing and I didn't really consider myself a writer for a few years. I would have never considered myself a playwright. Okay. Um, <laughs> which is quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then in 2017, I just had this like, it was so random, but I just had this like sudden urge to write a play. Like it just happened I was uh I was doing Shakespeare at the time I was doing this winter season at Sportford Joe's Theatre Company who were based out of Surrey Hills and we were doing these uh productions these school productions of The Tempest A Midsummer Night's Dream and Macbeth over at the Seymour Centre and I was like in the midst of like doing the bard and I think feeling quite inspired but also feeling a little bit at odds with Shakespeare at the time and but also kind of simultaneously being inspired by the language that was that he uses and the way that he tells stories and I just felt like I wanted to really write something from my lived experience so kind of hit me like the inspiration just happened and I started I spoke to a friend of mine who's a screenwriter and I said, you know, I really want to write this specific play. So I didn't venture in going, I want to be a playwright. I had mm. the idea to write Orange Thrower and I had no clue how to start. <laughs> it's an odd place to start play, um, writing, I think. Yeah. And um, he was very supportive. He's my best friend in the entire world. He's, um, you know, he's trained for years and years and years on how to be a screenwriter. And he was very supportive and he was like, well, I'm going, he was going away to, the, to Europe at the time. And he was like, when I get back, I want you to have, a couple of things to show me. And one of those things was like a manifesto sort of scrapbook. Another was like a couple of pages of free writing around the project, also just for fun, a playlist. And so that was my little task that I, that we set for myself. And I went away and did that. And then sort of this, this entire kind of ecosystem of me becoming a playwright took off from there. Okay. Um, because I had something on my hands that I really wanted to work on and it meant that I had to learn how to become a playwright to write the play, if that makes sense. So that's where it, it started. Okay. It was a very, I would say, humble beginnings. Yeah. And uh, I then went on the process of, I began free writing. So I would free write every morning. I did morning pages. I I had so much in me that I wanted to get down on the page and it sort of just flowed out of me and it felt really organic. And then from then on, I began contacting lo- like theatre companies around and looking at residency programs because I felt like I needed support. So I felt like I needed a, a, a way to kind of mould all of this stuff that was kind of in my body and my brain onto the page and into a clear, concise story because it sort of started to like overtake itself, if that makes sense. It was flowing out of me so heavily and I was writing so much and I had all of this material, but it just needed to be uh, like moved into one thing. Yeah, because you would just have so many ideas, wouldn't you? Like you're firing off all these thoughts and when you're doing free writing especially, like you're you're literally just writing down what comes off the top of your head. Totally. So I would say that this play um, started as a series of vignettes. So it felt it didn't have a traditional narrative structure. I wouldn't say I had a strong story arc. (laughs) 
I had a really clear, a clear idea about character though, because I'm an actor first. I know how to write dialogue and I know I write very much from a, a rhythmic place uh, because I understand rhythm. And I think also because I was studying Shakespeare at the time, mm. I was very much in tune with that. And so the first thing I ever applied for was, I think I was moving to Melbourne at the time to go and do, I was starting Harry Potter in a couple of months. <gasps> And so I was, yeah, so I was like, that's from back on this like massive job, but I also had this play that I really wanted to write. Yeah. And so there was always this part of my, in my mind that I was like, I'm not going to be able to write this play while I'm doing Harry. Like I'm just going to be so spent. And um, so I need to kind of do as much as I can now. So I applied for a residency over at Malthouse, which was in conjunction with Footscray Community Arts and I got shortlisted. And so that was the start of many, many things that occurred with this work where people were reading my writing and going, there's something really interesting here. What is this that you're trying to do? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, it, that, that's what the conversation felt like. Um, so my first sort of set of dramaturgy occurred with um, and then Mark Pritchard over at Malthouse Theatre. Okay. We sat down with a whiteboard and we talked about story and we talked about what it was that this play, what would this play look like? And he set me a series of tasks in terms of just creating a beginning, middle and end to go away and write. That occurred and I, I wrote those scenes and it started to feel like there were some real bones to the play. Mm. Um, I had a couple of readings with some friends at home. So, I, you know, some of my Whopper friends and then also some of my Harry Potter friends. Um, I got feedback from uh, beautiful Paula Arundel, who's a really prolific stage actress in the country who's currently playing Hermione uh, in The Cursed Child. And then I just, honestly, from there, I just applied for everything I could in the country. That's so, so like, cool. Every competition, every residency. I joined the Beeson Writers Group at Malthouse through Mark Pritchard, and we were able to really, uh, to like, learn about story in those sessions and I started to I knew what I knew is that I knew that I had these really strong characters I had a really strong premise for a show I had all of this like kind of atmospheric imaginative knowledge of what I wanted the show to look and feel like and I had kind of multiple story arcs but I didn't have one strong narrative arc that we were following for the protagonist right and what was great about the Beast and Writer groups is that we would focus each week on a new I guess facet of playwriting so we'd spend an entire week on structure and then we'd spend an entire week on form and an entire week on style and then another week on dialogue and character. And I started to sort of see playwriting as technical for the first time ever. Right, okay. Um, and not not intuitive and fluid, which it totally can be and should be in a lot of ways. But I think when you start to understand the rules, mm. it becomes a lot easier because then you can choose to break the rules or follow the rules essentially. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You said earlier that because you were a performer first, that it, it helped you to create these characters. So, yeah. What. What do you reckon would be like the key to creating believable characters, not just an archetype or a stereotype? Yeah, I think so. All of my characters, I deeply believe, are just a, a, a facet of who I am. I think that you really have to be prepared to show yourself. Like, there's nothing that makes me feel more vulnerable than writing. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, why do I do it? Um, <laughs> just got to like kind of hone in, remind yourself. <laughs> Remind myself that it's deeply painful. Um, but uh, I think I had this great thing when I was over at Malthouse, um, which uh, Matt Lutton had said, which is that a good protag- that a good protagonist is always audacious, which I think is something that I'll carry with me. I think you need to be prepared to make sure that your characters make big mistakes. And even if they have the best intentions, be prepared to make your characters unlikable, make them flawed, make them multifaceted, make them surprising, make them weird. Why do you think that's important? I think it because it's, it is the human existence. I think that mm. people aren't just one version of themselves. They're multiple and people can contradict themselves. And so I think that my characters are full in that sense. I think they do accidentally do bad things and I think that is necessary for drama. I think you need it in order to create conflict. Definitely. And I think that that was something that I was sort of intuitively doing because you very much have to always think about your character's backstory when you're an actor. And so I created these like full backstories for all of these people, who they were, you know, where they grew up, how they knew each other, like what their parents were like, what their parents did, what socioeconomic background they were from, what cultural background they were from. I also knew that I wanted an ensemble of four people of colour, but a thing that I I really wanted to hone in on was creating four distinct lived experiences around, I guess, like the African diaspora and what that means to live in this fictional suburb that I'd created, which is called Paradise in the play. It's a suburb that's based around suburbs I grew up in in Perth, and I just wanted them to all come at this place from a different angle. I wanted to make sure that they were each telling a distinctive story. I didn't want any of their their plights to be similar, if that makes sense. On that, well, let's let's talk about Orange Thrower then. So Orange Thrower, you actually won um, the 2019 Rodney Seaboard Playwrights Award for this play, which is incredible. So congratulations on that, first of all. Let's discuss kind of like briefly what Orange Thrower is about and then kind of the main sort of message that you're wanting to get across with this because I read the synopsis and it sounds really interesting it has a lot of resonance with a lot of kind of cultural movements that are going on in Australia essentially uh, (laughs) um, I I guess like breaking down what your play is about is always quite tricky but um, we have there there are two sisters Zadie and Bimsy which who are living in a house in a fictional suburb called Paradise they're left alone over the over the summer because their parents are back in South Africa visiting family for a reason that we actually don't know why they're back there, but we assume that they're on a holiday. And there is a visitor that visits the house and this is someone from the family's past and this person wants to stay at the house. Simultaneously, while that happens, there is also an act of vandalism that occurs on the house. 
And so our protagonist goes on this journey of trying to manage this new person in the household as well as this strange sticky act of vandalism that occurs. And over the course of the play, they discover that sort of everything isn't as it seems in this suburb that I've created and a whole lot of things go wrong <laughs> without giving away too much. <laughs> oh, excellent. It's always hard, isn't it? Because you don't want to like give away too much, just, just enough to make it tantalising. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot that goes wrong in this play, which I'm really proud of. That's what we love to see is stuff go awry, right? Yeah. So where do you think Orange Thrower sorts of, sort of fits in the changing landscape of Australian theatre. So, I, I mean, just looking at the amount of plays that are coming out, especially at Griffin and Darlinghurst and a lot of these new theatres, there's new work. So, for instance, the Methods of Killing Kylie Jenner is, like, massive at the moment. Mm. Like, it's got rave reviews. So where do you think your works and Orange Thrower sorts of sits in this new emerging landscape? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really it's really inspiring as it as a young writer, um, you know, when I, when I was, you know, the kind of initial iterations of this play, I started, I went, you know what, I need to see, I need to see kind of black work in motion. I need to read these plays and see what they're, how they're functioning overseas. So I read Seven Methods of Killing Kylie Jenner by Jasmine Lee Jones. I read um, Is God Is, uh, who, which is by Alicia Harris. Um, I read Slave Play by Jeremy O'Harris. I read Fairview. I read all of these really complex, crunchy plays that were happening overseas that were like creating massive debate and discussion in foyers um, that were written by black playwrights because I kind of needed to see see it, like seeing is believing. And because I had never because I'd never kind of seen myself as a playwright, I needed to just see someone else that could I could be like. Yeah. And a lot of those plays are form breaking. They're really subversive. They're baked in traditional forms of storytelling, and and they they, they like they kind of utilize old or I guess traditional forms of of playwriting. But you can see when they're purposely breaking the rules. Like Brandon okay. Jacob Jenkins does that really well. And I used that as kind of the inception for my work. Like I used, I think, I, I think I would like to think that Orange Thrower speaks to those plays. But in terms of where it sits in the Australian landscape, I think it's really exciting because I think that Australia is gearing more towards what it is like overseas, what it's like at, um, you know, Soho Rep in New York or what it's like at what the, the Royal Court over in London. And I do think that this play in particular is very Australiana. It's based on coming-of-age tropes, so plays like Summer of the Aliens, Cloud Street, Away. So I think it very much feels very Australian, but it is subversive. It's boundary pushing. It can be confronting at times, but it's just like funny. I do think it's funny. Well, I hope it will be funny. I hope audiences I'll find it funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's all that matters. And I think that, you know, with something like Seven Methods, I think it really does speak to the other plays happening within, especially within the African diaspora at the moment or other POC work. Yeah. It is an identity play, but I think it's I, I, like, it's funny. It's like when I first started writing it, I was like, I really want to see myself represented like because mm. I had the intention to play Zadie originally who's the protagonist of the show and I, it was very much from the place of just like yearning to see myself on stage yeah. and I think now it's become more than that it's become more than just like seeing people of color on stage it's mm. become a play 
I think that that's really if that makes sense. It yeah. does make a lot of sense. Actually, it resonates to like a lot of what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing in discussions, like with the editor at Theatre Thoughts, like Name Drop, um, Charlotte. We had a really good discussion about POC actors and performers in old pieces of work. So, for instance, I saw Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And they yeah. cast two of the characters as um, BIPOC performers. And we had this really great discussion about representation and, and how changing old texts like. Um, changes the meaning entirely and mm. I think see, like wanting to see representation on stage is the first step but then as you said it actually like not just being like oh there's the representation it becomes a play it becomes meaning and it has that depth to it yeah I think it's specificity like so I come from a cultural background I'm a colored South African woman so my family are mixed race my parents are mixed race and their parents are mixed race we come from a very particular kind of socioeconomic background and a very specific cultural history involved with us as a group of people and I have really tried to be as specific as possible I've tried not to like make this like a palatable show or like I think that any play that is great has an immense sense of detail and I would hope that what this play does is invite people in into a family unit who they might recognize or might not I think if you have a great knowledge of South African history that's awesome but if you don't that's fine and I think you might actually learn a thing or two watching the show and then the show also like really does a great job of trying to entertain audiences it doesn't I really didn't want to ever be too clever or too um didactic with my work or try to educate people it was always a really fine line I just think that the play intends to just like open my heart and open the hearts of the characters to the audience and let them in for a bit it's very like when you have such a like a baby I suppose like your your play is your is like and you like you're saying earlier it's a part of you so opening that up and and I'm opening up to an audience for interpretation is 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 that confronting yeah I think it I think it is confronting um I've definitely had periods of going oh my god this is so hard why did I do this to myself (laughs) (laughs) like writing is not easy like playwriting is not easy and I think it really um for me it has to be a really deliberate act it's not something that I'll go into lightheartedly again not that I went into this lightheartedly I think it's been a very specific process it's taken me four years to write this play and I think that's actually an an adequate amount of time (laughs) (laughs) you know I don't I don't think I want I don't want to really like I'm not frantically wanting to just write more very quickly because I I think that that would do a disservice to the process. Right, okay. I think time has been the best thing for this work. And, um, yeah, I do feel like in terms of how it speaks to the theatrical landscape of Sydney, I think that really it's just like it's another perspective on a story being told. I think it's a really good story. Mm. And I think that was because I have spent four years thinking about what story is and what a good play is and reading those plays and reading articles and reading essays and trying to go, how does this not just become like a vague wash of people of colour on stage, but how does it become really specific? For new playwrights and younger playwrights as well, if they if they were if they came to you and they asked, where do you start? Where do I begin? What kind yeah. of advice would you give to them? Look, I think um, I think know what story you want to tell and ask yourself who it's for. So I think knowing your audience is always going to be really helpful. Like envision the space that you want to put it in. Envision 
who the director might be. And it's not to like, I think also you don't want to necessarily put your production hat on, but I think it's helpful to just like think of it as something that could be a reality. And for me, it was always helpful to base any of my practice in theory. I think that was actually what became really useful for me. There were a bunch of like essays and books that I found really helpful over the course of the last four years. I'll throw this out there because I think everyone should read it. There's this essay called Visit to a Small Planet by Eleanor Fuchs because it was something that I got sent really early on and it's about building world building and how to build like a really strong foundation and create rules and what does your work, like it's like you create a planet, which is the planet that your play is set on and envision that planet and what does it sound like and what does it feel like and what does it smell like and I think just be prepared to like let your mind go like don't limit yourself but make it the best possible thing that you can be and ask questions be prepared to learn seek out help apply for everything that's what helped me anyway was applying and like not being afraid to send my work to people actually yeah it's terrifying (laughs) it's terrifying but I think actually because I just like I've probably sent some pretty garbage emails to some people <laughs> Over the course of the last four years, like some pretty shoddy scenes. Um, I mean, not to bombard people, but I've had a lot of help. Yeah. I've had a lot of help and support, and I think it's made me the writer I am today. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for those people that responded. Like I sent a lot of cold emails and like, I'm like, mm. I can't believe I did that, but I did it. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's hard. Well, I know like for, for this podcast, I've, I've done a similar sort of thing and just like literally sent out emails and I send it and I go, Oh my God, did I, should I have sent that? <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. That, is that rude? <laughs> I think you always are like, oh my god, they'll never respond. Like they don't respond. They didn't respond. What does it mean? Yeah. Sometimes they just they just missed it. You know. Yeah. Um. But I think like and make it a part of you. Make it like you already know what you want to write. You already know how to tell a story. Mm. We all do. You know. So I think it's just about making it a part of yourself. Actually, trying not to emulate other people is also something that I like. I, I there's things that I've come back around to that I actually thought about three years ago in terms of maybe how something might play out with a certain character I'm like yeah I had that thought four years ago <laughs> and you just kind of full circle you're like there it is yeah yeah there it is again like you are your own north star I guess and do you think it's made you or do you think like moving forward it's made you a a, a better performer since you know like where the scripts come from and the process behind them yes I think it has made me a better performer I think it's like it takes so long <laughs> to write a yeah. to write a play <laughs> And everything is so, more or less, it's really been thought out. So, like, I'm not a big fan of paraphrasing. And I don't think I ever was, but I really am not a big fan of paraphrasing anymore. I feel like I maybe have a bit of a reverence for the writer now that I didn't have before. But I think it's there's always clues in the play. There's always going to be clues. There's Mm -hmm. always going to be things to crack. There's always going to be so much that you just don't know. So, like, I think for me, I I just, if, if I'm working on something now, I just read it over and over and over and over again. I try and read it from start yeah. to finish as well. You know, like I try and do sweet reads of okay. something when I'm rehearsing it because that really helps me track what is happening with my character. The question we used to ask ourselves at drama school was like, what is your character's function? All right. And I think that everyone is serving a purpose. No one is on stage accidentally. Yeah, actually, they said that I read something by Bill Bryson once when he was talking about Shakespeare, and uh, there was a line in there about messengers and how every single person in the play has a purpose all the way down to the messenger coming on stage and delivering the notice going, you know, so-and-so's dead or this, let someone is coming, like 
every single person, every single character serves a purpose. And I think that when you think about it to that extent, it's fascinating. Totally. Like it's cause and effect, right? Like if that messenger doesn't come in and bring that letter, yes, the rest of the play might not happen. So what's next, Kirsty? What's next for you then? Where would you like to see? Would you like these <laughs> like plays to go further? Do you think you're going to like write more or do you think you're going to perform more? Like what do you reckon's next Look, for you? I think it's a combination of both. Like I do have, they serve a different purpose for me, both performing and writing. And they're sort of different parts of my artistry. And sometimes I need to exercise the acting thing for a while. And, you know, right now, Orange Throw, I'm not performing in it, but I get to go into the rehearsals and watch it come to life. And that yeah. is like, tickled a really specific part of my um <laughs> I like my artistic backbone um, okay so like I'm loving that part of it like going into the rehearsal room and seeing this play like being blocked on the floor it's so surreal it's so surreal and so amazing because it was just like you know a seed in my mind <laughs> Yeah. All, those, all those years ago. But what's next? Like, I would love to write another one, let's be honest. Mm. I will. I think um, it won't happen straight away. Orange Thrower is um, kind of form-breaking in a lot of different ways and surrealist and magic realist uh, at certain points. I think I would love to do, like, a kitchen sink drama with six or seven or eight characters. Mm. I think that I would need to work my way up to that, though. Okay. Um, I'd love to write something, period. I'd love to write something in, like, the 1940s. Yeah, I really want to write, like, a big family drama. I think, I don't know if it's necessarily next, but it's definitely a part of that five-year trajectory. And performing, like, still just always will be there. I sort of need both. I don't think ever one will fall by the wayside. Um, they inform each other all, all the time. And I would also love to do another production of Orange Thrower, whether that would be in South Africa or overseas somewhere in the UK. I mean, that's kind of big dream stuff. Oh, that'd be amazing if you took that to the UK, even South Africa. Or like Edinburgh Festival. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> take it easily to the Edinburgh, Edinburgh Fringe. I love the Fringe. We love you could the easily fringe. take it over there. Yeah, not sure about the set, but, you know, we could figure it out. So, I could just imagine you... Like you, the the marketing for that, you'd stand on the laneway leading up to Edinburgh Castle. I could just imagine it'd be very orange. You could like maybe sell some oranges to people, like and people would like come in. Totally, I could, I'm picturing it. I can see it. I know. I can feel it. <laughs> yeah, or even to be honest, like another production over in Melbourne or in Queensland or in Perth. Yeah, I would love to. I think because this play has been in development for so long. I mean, mm. I've had people say to me, oh, we were really worried this play would get stuck in development land, which is like oh. the development purgatory. Yeah, where yeah. Play, plays never plays never leave. Yeah. Um, and it was at risk of that, I think, for a hot second there. But it's out of that nebulous now. So Good. I think I want to just see it in – I just want to see it in front of audiences. I want to get it in front of as many audiences as possible. Yeah, that's sort of what I would like to do because I think I will learn from that experience. It's been so private. Like, yes, I've, like, shared it with people and, like, I've read it with people and I've had small readings in, like, small spaces or on Zoom, but it has still inevitably been really private. So I would love to just see what discussion it ignites with people. Well, Kirsten, really, you are definitely one to watch out for in the playwriting world. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, uh, Kirsten, for coming on the podcast and talking about Orange Thrower. This has been enlightening, to say the least. Thank you so much. Oh, awesome. Oh, and I hope you like the show. I hope, I hope you laugh. I will be, I'll be down at the audience and I'll laugh loud for everyone. It'll get them going. Thank you so much to Kabuku PR and Kirsty Marillier for helping to organise today's episode. 
Orange Thrower is playing at the Griffin Theatre for an extended season until the 26th of March before moving to the National Theatre of Parramatta from March 30th to April 2nd, 2022. Tickets can be found by searching Orange Thrower at griffintheatre.com.au or riversideparramatta.com.au. Live on our website now is Theatre Thought's new monthly feature, Cheap Thrills. Our editor Charlotte's top picks for those of us who can't afford to see or who may have had enough of seeing another commercial musical. From festival plays such as Fledgling by Lily Heyman, Big Thick Energy with Demon Derriere and Orange Thorough by Kirsty Marillier, each month Charlotte gives you a quick rundown on all the most affordable pieces of theatre available for those on a budget. Head to our website now to read what Charlotte suggests. That's it for another episode of the Theatre Thoughts Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you like today's episode, share it with your friends on your social media and tag us at Theatre Thoughts AUS. In the meantime, just follow our link tree to access all of our platforms in one easy location. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time here on the Theatre Thoughts Podcast. Hi y'all, this is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.